All right. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. If you want to follow along, um, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, pull out your phone. If you don't have one of those or you would uh, just rather, the Scripture is going to be up here on the screen for you. All right. So I will admit, most men will not admit this, but I will admit, I don't read instructions. I do not have the ability to, to read the instructions. When I buy something that needs to be put together, you know, it, it's kind of like Tim Taylor, ooh, 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 I can just do this. I'm going to put this together. But almost inevitably, I have to take something apart because I, I missed a step, I did something wrong, and I've got to go back and fix it. Not this Christmas, but the Christmas before, uh, we bought our granddaughters a, a, a kitchen and it had 400 pieces that had to be put together, 400 pieces. And I jumped in there, and I started putting this thing together, and it became very clear very quickly that I had no clue what I was doing. I was going to make a complete mess of this thing if I did not pull out the instructions and read through it. So if we do it by the instructions, we get the right result, right? So what I had to do was admit that I couldn't do it my way, that I had to do it the way the instructions said to do it. And it's the same way in our spiritual walk. We have to admit at times, my way is not the right way. I've got to do it the way the instructions tell us to do it. And we're starting a new sermon series this morning. It's called Illumin 8. Illumin 8. Eight times that Jesus says you're blessed. Eight times that Jesus says you're blessed. We're going to look at, look at that out of Matthew chapter 5. We, we routinely call these the Beatitudes. But today, we're going to talk about how Jesus says we're blessed when we stop doing it our way. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him. Now, let's break this down just a minute. I'm going to give you a little background on some stuff. I'm going to show you some stuff before we really dive into the, the heart of the message. It says, seeing the crowds. See, this was the right time and the right place for Jesus to do what he needed to do. It says he saw the crowds. And it says he went up on the mountain. Now, to us in a Western world, that really doesn't mean much. Not coming from a Jewish background, that doesn't really mean much. But we need to understand that, 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 that God does things in patterns. Things that he did in the Old Testament, they're types and shadows of what he wanted to do in the New Testament. And Jesus walking up on, onto a mountain was very significant because God had given Moses the moral law on a mountain. We call it the Ten Commandments. There was a time that Moses was on a mountain and God gave him the legal code. And now Jesus is on the mountain and he's about to give us the law of grace. So this was very significant. It also says that he sat down. And once again, that doesn't really mean anything to us. But think about when a king comes in, what does he do? He sits. He sits on his throne. Correct? When a judge comes in, he sits before he begins to pass judgment. 
And in Jesus' day, a rabbi, when he sat down, what he was saying was, I am about to teach you something new. So Jesus sat down. He was taking a place of authority when he sat down. Once again, all of this was planned out. None of this just happened. Jesus went up on the mountain. He sat down in this place of authority. Ephesians 1 verse 20 says, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Once again, the authority was given to him when he was seated. You following me? All right. And then it says his disciples came to him because they recognized what was going on. When Jesus sat down, they're going, okay, something's about to happen. Verse 2 says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying. Once again, even the way that Matthew wrote this, we don't normally say, yeah, I was having a, a conversation with Pastor Roger and he opened his mouth and said, I mean, that's kind of a duh. You're going to open your mouth before you say, right? But Matthew wrote it this way, once again, to show the authority that Jesus was about to speak with. He opened his mouth, and he began to, to teach. And what he taught is what we call the Beatitudes, now, many preachers have said these are the attitudes that you should be having. That's why they're called the Beatitudes. But it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, the word Beatitude is an old English translation of the Greek word makarios, which means blessed. means blessed. So we have eight Beatitudes. This is eight times Jesus is saying that you're blessed. But it's even a little bit deeper than that because we can say, oh, I'm so blessed today. I'm so blessed. How are you? I'm blessed, right? This word makarios, it's a compound word. It's made up of three words, three Greek words right here. The first one is ma, which means to overflow. I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you before I'm, I'm getting started here. The first, the first word is ma. It means overflow. The second word is carry, which means grace, and the third word is us, which means in whom or in you. So the word makarios that we have translated here, it means an overflow of grace in you. And remember, grace is receiving something that you've not earned, nor do you deserve. It's God's favor on your life. So these beatitudes or these blessings... It's God's overwhelming, God's overflow of grace for you. And they're also progressive. I've seen a lot of people teach uh, the Beatitudes and they act like that they're not connected together. You know, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. But I believe they're absolutely connected. I believe they're like a map. Can we sh throw that? Uh... See, over here where we're starting, the first three... Poor in spirit, mourners, and the meek. That's Christ working in us, moving us towards him. And we also need to understand that, that God gave us a soul. He gave us a mind, a will, and emotions, right? 
So he's gonna minister to us also through our mind, our will, and our emotions. Yes, we are spiritual beings, but he has to, to speak to us through our mind, through our emotions, through our will, to bring us to a place where we truly are hungry and thirsty for him, and the result will be righteousness. Okay? You can drop it down. So the first three are Christ working in us. The last three will be Christ working through us. I'll show that several times over the next few weeks as we, we go through this. But I want you to understand that this is a map. This is not just a one-off. We're taking steps towards the place where God has brought us so we can truly hunger and thirst for him and he'll fill us with righteousness. All right, Matthew 5, verse 3. Let's get into this. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to read this to you, uh, first part of this verse, out of the classic amplified version. It says, blessed, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward conditions. Are you listening to this? Regardless of their outward conditions are the poor in spirit. Now, that almost seems like it's contradictory. How can you be blessed and spiritually prosperous but be poor in spirit? How can you be prosperous yet poor at the same time? Jesus was dropping some deep truths on these guys. So, we need spiritual poverty. Now, if, if you're like me, I used to read this and it used to bother me that it even said the word poor. Ooh, we don't like the word poor. But Jesus right here is saying, unless you're spiritually poor, you're not going to really get what I want you to get. And the poor here does not mean poor like we think. We normally think that, that the definition of poor is uh, poverty. Of poverty is a lack of money or provision. A lack of influence or power to be oppressed by others. That's poor. We see that in our world. Poor people are with, without provision. They're without power and they're oppressed. That, that is a normal definition of Poverty, but the Bible never refers to natural poverty as a blessing. Amen? You got that? So when we're talking about poverty here, he's not talking about money. He's not talking about being without provision. So what in the world is he talking about? Right here, the only place that we ever see poverty as a blessing is what Jesus is talking about. So we have to have this spiritual aha moment. And what is the aha moment? It's that we recognize our inability so we can connect with his ability. When he's talking about being poor in spirit, what he's really talking about is coming to a place where you recognize you can't do it. You can't make it happen. No matter how hard you try, you cannot make this happen. Yet we do try, don't we? Over and over and over again. We have failed, we have failed, we have failed, we have failed, we have failed. Why? Because I'm still in charge. 
I'm still trying to do it without reading the instructions. I'm still trying to do it my way. And we need to understand that God's not there for our pleasure. We're here for his pleasure. Do you hear what I said? See, sometimes we get, we get this, this thinking that, that you know, God is, is like a cosmic Santa Claus. He's going to give me what I want. I'm going to send him my list. And it depends on whether I've been naughty or nice, whether I get what I want. That's not God. That's a religious idol that we have built and called God. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the Christ that we should be serving. Now, does that mean he will not bless us in certain ways? Of course not. Does that mean that we don't take him our needs? Of course not. But this is the first step. The first step is when we begin to recognize, I can't do this. I can't make this happen. If you never came to this place, you're not born again. You cannot be your own savior. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough to earn heaven. We have to realize, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough to do this. And that's when we, be, we come to a place that Jesus is talking about. When we recognize the poverty of our own ability so we can connect with his ability. Isaiah 66, verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and all these things came to be, declared the Lord. And this is the part I want to focus on. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. In the King James Version, that word humble, guess what it is? Poor. He who is poor and contrite in spirit. Oh, you mean God started this in the Old Testament and brought it over into the New Testament? Absolutely. God hadn't changed. We're the one trying to think he's changed. God hadn't changed. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We can't do it. Who? Who? This he's saying, this is, this is who I'm looking for. God said, this is who I'm looking for. The one that humbles himself. The one that recognizes his own need. And even beyond that, recognizes that he can't fix it. I had somebody come in my office. It's been two, three years ago now. And they walked in. And they were telling me all these things that were going on in their life and how they were trying to fix it, and yet it wasn't working. And I stopped them and I said, your problem is that you're trying to fix it. And they said, well, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. And I had to say, I hate to break it to you, but that's not in the Bible. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin wrote that. And they were just taken aback. That's actually opposite of what God says. It's not that God helps those that help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. Those that have come to the place where they realize, I can't do this. 
I can't fix it. And it's not just about the broken parts of us. We all have broken parts. But it's even wanting to know the Lord even more deeply. I've got to recognize I don't get to come to God the way I want to. It's the way he wants me to come to him. I can't do this. Is this making any sense? (laughs) Okay. Why must we be poor in spirit or humble to receive from God? James 4, verse 6 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I hear people quote this scripture all the time, but guess which part they they quote? Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Well, guess what? If you have not submitted yourself to God, you are not living in the authority that will allow you to resist the devil. If I'm just saying resist the devil and he will flee, what I'm saying is he better be scared of me. And we act like that. Some devil better be scared of me. I might ruin it for some people, but the devil is not scared of you. Do you hear me? The devil is not scared of you. He's scared of the Jesus in you. So we have to submit ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. I've been in situations where uh, I've had to deal with people that were uh, manifesting demonic activity. And I remember the first time that, that, I, that I ever faced this, I had no clue what I was doing. In fact, I, I didn't even think I should be the one dealing with it. I was sitting in church. Somebody in the back of the church stood up and started growling and going, I'm not coming out. And I turned my head towards the, the pastor of the church. I'm going like, man, because I'm just a young kid. I'm, I'm going to get to watch the man of God cast a devil out. And we locked eyes, and he looked down at me. He said, Chris, take that guy out there and cast the devil out of him. I went, ah, ah. So I took this guy out with absolutely no belief that I could do this. And I started with him, and after a little while, I was so upset and angry, I'm basically standing on the arm of the chair just shaking him. Come out, come out. That devil wasn't scared of me because I thought it was me. I thought there was, it, it was about me, about how much authority I had. But I've learned over the years the authority of God that dwells in the believer it's not me, it's him. And I've been right down here ministering. And there was a young lady. She started, I, I, I saw it. And you know what? I didn't have to scream at her. I didn't have to do anything. I just went, nope, not here. Nope, not here. And she immediately calmed down. Why? Because I knew it wasn't me. I knew in me dwells no good thing. But he who dwells in me is good and powerful, and strong, and has the authority to do everything. So, can spiritual poverty be a blessing? 
Let's go back and read Matthew 5, 3 again. I'm going to read the whole verse now out of the classic Amplified. It says, blessed, happy, to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward conditions. I focus on that because it is regardless of their outward conditions. What does that mean? Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter what you feel like. When you're humbling yourself and you're coming to God and you're admitting your inability, he says you're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The humble who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen to it out of the message. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. I'm not feeling blessed, Lord. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you. There's more of God in his rule. The reason that we're blessed is because we're poor. You hear me? Now that sounds almost un-American, doesn't it? We're blessed because we're poor. But once again, it, we're blessed because we recognize our inability. And when we recognize our inability, when we come to this place, when we're saying, God, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. I cannot make this happen no matter how hard I try. And guess what? Even if you could do it, even if you could work really hard and make it happen, who's going to get the glory for it? You. God doesn't share his glory. God does not share his glory. So when we come to the place where we've humbled ourselves and we say, Lord, I'm absolutely empty without you. He says, now the kingdom of heaven is yours. And guess what he's not talking about? Someday we'll go to heaven. He's talking about right now. Right now. You need the authority and you need deliverance and you need to, to get through this now. Not when we get to heaven. We won't be fighting battles when we get to heaven. The kingdom of heaven so what in the world is the kingdom of heaven? It's where the king rules. Does he rule in you? Blessed is the kingdom of God, where he rules, where he reigns. There is his provision, his authority, his power to break oppression. And we need that now. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. That's what we receive. That's why we're blessed when we admit, I can't do it. I cannot make this happen. Lord, I can't, even in myself, even draw close to you. But when I admit that, I receive righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Will you stand with me?
Remember the instructions. Remember the instructions. Even if you have the ability to put it together yourself, you're not going to do it right. We do not have that ability to do it right. We have to admit, and this is the first step. This is coming to that place of reckoning and reasoning. I can't do it. And I know that's not manly to say. I can't do it. But only he can do it through us. So what I want you to know, if you want to do it on your own, and many of us have, you will now be subject to the evil poverty of this world. You may make a billion dollars in business and you've done it your way, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I like it better when Pastor Chris is funny. (laughs) What I want you to do, I want you to remember, God wants to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you the kingdom. God wants to see you blessed. God wants to see you spiritually blessed. He wants to see you in that place of overcoming. But as long as we try to do it our way, We're going to fail. I'll for one say, I've been addicted to me. I've been addicted to doing it my way. And it's taken me longer to get to to a place where I've learned to follow on him. All because the first step, the first place that we come to, the only way to get to salvation is admitting I can't do it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that in our inability, we can connect with your ability. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would just begin to show us the places where we have tried to do it ourselves, where we've tried to be our own savior, we've tried to be our own answer. We've tried to do it. We've tried to fix ourselves. Yet we fail. Yet we fail. I'm just going to ask you, as we've got our heads bowed and we're, we're just praying. If you're in that place and you're saying, I've tried to do it myself. I've tried to do it myself. Whether you've tried to be your own savior, you've tried to be your own defender, you've tried to, to, to be the one that pulled himself up by his own bootstraps because that's what a good American does. If you've been in that place and you just want to admit it, you know, sometimes just admitting, we, we have to... We have to first admit that I've been in that place. If you're there, just raise your hand. I've been there. I've been there. Lord, you see the ones that have raised their hands. Lord, the ones that are are coming to that recognition. 
the ones that are desiring to be poor in spirit so the kingdom of heaven can be theirs. Lord, I pray for them. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to do and to be and to step in to that next place. Whether it's your first step or your 101st step. Because the first step is saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. You know what? I said that 30-something years ago, and I still say it. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. There is something about taking that next step. Father, we give this to you. Father, we give this to you. Lord, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for intending us for the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for loving us into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I thank you that there will be some in here that are coming to that first step. In Jesus' name, amen.